This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Impact of Influence. The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend, and Matt Harris and Seton Tucker. Always grateful that you're spending some time with us. We've got a rustle of feet things to talk about today. We've got something on the beach trial. But we're going to start with the Murdoch murder news. As always, Murdoch Podcast on Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com, and Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. Now let's bring in our legal analyst, former district attorney, and former defense attorney, John Snyder. Hello, John. Hello. Uh, let's start with Alec Murdoch and all the filings and motions and even uh, some more charges that are brought up against Alec. See, the new charge is tax evasion. Yes. So my first question with this to John is, do you think this means that federal charges will be coming? I think it's very likely. The amount of money that flowed through the accounts of he and his law firm uh, related to what he has filed with his tax returns are probably dramatically uh, different. And I think the federal government is going to take action on this and, and possibly other charges related to that. The tax years of 2011 to 2019, Murdoch failed to report, according to the indictment, $6,954,639 through these uh, illegal acts. Uh, so that's you know almost $7 million. That's a little bit of a, a tax evasion right there. Um, Murdoch owes state tax totaling around 487000 and uh, no word yet, as you just talked about, whether the federal tax evasion charges are going to be there, but they're going to want their money, of course. And um, as with the previous 90 state grand jury indictments, the this tax evasion case will be prosecuted by South Carolina Attorney General's Office, as you mentioned. But I think it's up to five years in prison for that. As far as motions involving the Murdoch trial, where should we start here, uh, Seton? Let's start with the financial crimes. We did have a motion filed by the defense team that argues that the state's theory that Murdoch murdered his wife and son in cold blood to distract from the law firm's investigation into this alleged financial improprieties is illogical and unsupported by the evidence. 
How do you think the judge is going to rule on this? My guess is the trial court's going to allow them to make the argument. And this is a, um, and at the close of their evidence, uh, the defense would make a motion to dismiss using similar arguments that's that's in this current motion. So I, I think the judge will probably let them proceed and then uh, make a ruling after the close of the state's evidence. You mean dur- actually this is the, during the trial? During the trial. I, okay. I think right now you've got each side saying your, your side doesn't have a case your, or your side doesn't have a defense. And so this is these are filings consistent with the adversarial process. And then the, the judge is going to say, you know, th- this motion is denied, but you can renew your motion at the close of the state's evidence. And then there's an argument that's made concerning the Labor Day weekend suicide for hire incident involving Alec Murdoch and cousin Eddie, where Alec said he paid Eddie to shoot him. So 10 million would go to his son, Buster. Eddie has said that's not the way it played out. But regardless, that's part of this argument. They're saying that this happened several months after the murders of Maggie and Paul. So how could that be related to the murders of Maggie and Paul? So, John, you've got two competing ideas, right? So the defense is saying no way that should should be allowed in because it's an after the fact thing. And the state's going to say, look, this this man is regularly willing to have someone murdered, even if it's himself in exchange for financial benefit or covering up other financial misdeeds. And so that, that'll be the argument. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the judge rules. I can see that going either way. Now, could the defense team, if it did get in, could they actually turn that to their advantage, That how that played out? In other words, you know, he was going for the insurance money to help out his son, and if he loved his son so much... Why would he kill the mother and son? He wanted to do everything he could to protect Buster. Why would he kill the rest of his family? Could that be an argument? That could be an argument. It also could be an argument to, to negate first degree murder that he was in, that he, that he lacked the, the mental state to form uh, the criminal intent that you need for first degree, that he was acting from such a defect and, and mental state that he you know, was making crazy decisions, doing crazy things. Uh, including and some guy that's a convicted drug user of trying to kill him. Like this obviously isn't someone that was in a mental state of clarity. And we know that after that Labor Day weekend mess with cousin Eddie, Alec went immediately to rehab. Will his alleged addiction to opioids be able to be brought in to the trial if they don't talk about the Labor Day murder-suicide? I think the defense will definitely bring it in to show lack, uh, lack of mental capacity. So they'll, they'll be arguing kind of two, not contradictory arguments, but they'll say, A, he didn't commit this, but B, in the event that the jury thinks that he did commit it, he was under the influence of, of powerful drugs. Therefore, he lacked the intent for first-degree murder. You'll see kind of a, a competing arguments that seem inconsistent, but are what, what lawyers are supposed to do, which is 
attack attack the the state's case to say you guys don't have what you need to. But in the event that you did, you're you're lacking an element through our client's disability. So you don't think it could backfire that they're going to make these two competing arguments? It could. I mean, you 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 can't say he's a choir boy and then say he's a massive drug head. You you gotta you gotta kind of pick, but then a lot of that is kind of game day decisions. You you look to see what the other team's doing and figure out what what's going to work best for your client. So it's because it has to be murder one, and if they can cast doubt that okay, if it happened, it wouldn't be murder one. Then the jury would be would have to say not guilty of murder one, but they could Correct. still think that he did it. And I would assume the state's going to bring second, the, the, the state's going to get ask for an instruction on second degree murder also. Okay. But the, 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 the penalty for second degree murder is dramatically lower than first degree murder, which would be life. Jury decides whether it's one or two. Correct. Let's get into a few of the other motions that have been filed by the state. One is a motion to limit and exclude evidence related to polygraphy. So I'm assuming this is related to Eddie Smith polygraph test that he took, which may have indicated deception. John, do you think that the state will be successful in excluding polygraph results? I think so. They are almost never admissible. You know, the science on it is so soft, if you will, in 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 subjectivity that I think that the judge is just going to say, we're not allowing either side to bring in the results of, of polygraph tests, period. And so that way you're not get you're, you're not determining the validity of, of that evidence. And because there's no instruction or no way to objective standard to use in it. We have another motion filed by the state, which was a motion to limit and exclude evidence related to third party guilt. So mm-hmm. I guess this is also referring to Eddie Smith. Yes. I think it's one of the filings that happened in October where they mention Eddie Smith and they talk about whether or not he was given a polygraph and it, it went in the weeds on that. So the uh, state is saying, I don't want him to bring that up and I don't, Eddie Smith issue. It's confusing to me though, because I think if you have evidence that there may be somebody else involved why should you not be able to bring it up? Right. It's similar to the way the judge ruled in Lafitte's case in federal court, which was Lafitte was the one on trial, not Alec. And so the judge severely limited their ability to discuss anything about, you know, Alec or these other bad actors in Lafitte's case. And I think it's it's going to be the same thing in Alex's case where the judge is going to severely limit them talking about anybody other than the one that's accused of the murder. But this is a murder trial. This is a murder trial. And if you have information that someone else may be guilty and you're on trial for murder, why should you not be allowed to bring that up? I think that the judge might hold his ruling. And then if that is the crux of the defense's case, then he will let it in. But if it's, if it's just, um, Casting shadows, casting aspersions, casting doubt, uh, I you gotcha. might be less likely to let it in. Because you could just start throwing, you know, random possibilities of committing. Yeah, you say it was, it was Jeffrey Dahmer did it. Well, yeah. no, he didn't. But, 
but if you're just trying to create reasonable doubt, counselor, that's that's not going to work. If you have evidence to show that he did and that the murder was actually committed by this person, yeah, then the court will hear that and, and allow you to present that. You can't just start calling up sketchy people on the stand, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's exactly right. The judge has also issued an order of non-disclosure of jury information, which is, I guess, very similar to the Lafitte hearing. Um, John, is this typical in murder cases that jury information is kept confidential? Uh, absolutely. You want parties to have access, but I think because of the nature of this case, the the national profile that it's received, the 60 people or the 180 people that are going to be on that list don't need to be harassed or contacted in any way. And so I think that's a fair decision and will be granted one, two. What was really interesting to me was that it, that the order extends to the media. So no news outlet, no one that, that's covering this trial in any way can release that information or or could be subject to this order. So if, they, if a media member finds out who a jury or who a juror is, they're in big trouble. They say who that juror is. That's right. Okay. That makes sense. You know what I mean? These people are going to be there for a month or whatever, and people knocking on their door and saying, what do you think so far? You know, that, well, that's exactly. insane. Everyone expects this to be televised. Will they keep the jurors' faces off camera? The judge is going to do everything in the world to protect the identity of the people that are willing to serve on a murder trial. I mean, it's, you, you, and you would, you take that same um, tact in a, in a basic civil trial. So, a trial judge is really one of the most important functions is to protect the jury and to protect the process. And so he or she is not going to do anything that makes jurors feel uncomfortable. I mean, obviously, we're going to be discussing the the, the motion to overturn a criminal trial conviction based on jury pressure or the or the stress that jurors are feeling. So there's no way a judge is going to to allow something that adds to that stress. I watched a bunch of the court TV trials. I never see the, the jury. We want to talk about uh, blood spatter now. Yes. Uh, the spatter. The state has been ordered to produce more reports, more details on what the Bevel report was and all the notes back and forth from law enforcement uh, to Bevel and to the uh, state's office. And Fitz News reported that the original Bevel report was found by a paralegal, Holly Miller. She was a paralegal with Dick Harpootland's office, and she found this, what they describe as a needle in a terabyte haystack. That is interesting because one of the motions is about being bombarded with too much evidence, and, and it makes it, in the old school movies and stuff, John, you know this, you probably even dealt with this before the computer age. Somebody the, the the in the show or the movie, the defense attorney's like, I need all the evidence and da 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 da. And then the DA goes, Okay, sure. And he pulls up with a big truck and there's like uh, you know, thousands of boxes in there. John is not that old. <laughs> I, I, I'm, no, I, I mean that's a that's a common David versus Goliath issue where you're you know, especially in, in in civil cases they're, where they're like, oh, you want discovery? Here's your discovery. Yeah. And you hear the truck backing up. And, you know, next thing you know, you are you don't have any room to walk around your office because it's filled yep. with boxes of paper. No, that's that's a real thing. And that's, yes, welcome to defense lawyering where you are both 
in the same hearing saying you don't have enough evidence and you've been given too much evidence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly so, what's happening. But yeah, I mean, that's, these are, these are, uh, as my daughter learned in her ninth grade English class, these are, these are tropes of the industry. Yeah. But some of the tropes are true, right? I mean, it, it, the, that's right. Yeah. Just maybe exaggerated a bit. So where was I going with the Bevel report? Oh, it's just cool that she, to me, it was just interesting that she found that, right? You're, you're talking about scrolling through piece by piece by piece. And I guess it's still to be determined the admissibility of the shirt. That Hear more about it, I'm sure. When do you think that will happen? That's going to be either a pretrial hearing on just, you know, counselor, we're going to, we're going to rule on this, the evidence on the shirt now so that it's not brought up in, in either side's jury argument. Or the, the judge will, again, hold, hold on ruling on it till it's, till it's sought to be offered in. And then, then you'll have a hear, a full, full hearing on it. What do you think the judge will say to the state about this shirt being entered into evidence? You all said this is evidence you had, and it appears that you didn't even believe in the evidence yourself. Therefore, we're not, I'm not going to let you present this to a jury. So, John, you mentioned that this will probably be dealt with in a pretrial hearing. Do you think we'll see more pretrial hearings to deal with some of these other issues that arise? I think on the on the, the big things like the admissibility of what might be a key piece of evidence, yes, but a lot of it, the judge will just say, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And so they're they're filed, they're on record, they're ready to go. Harputlian and Griffin have done their jobs uh, to have everything in before the trial starts, and uh, they'll have little pins on their on their map as they move forward through the trail of the trial and they'll make their motions at the appropriate time to say, okay, judge, we have, uh, we, we've made these motions and we are ready to go. About, uh, as of this recording, it's 20 days, the start of the trial. It is coming up fast. Mm-hmm. And there was a month before the, the hearing, we had to find out whether the state was going to seek the death penalty, which they say they are not. We have a lot of things going on in our state with the death penalty. No one has been put to death since 2011. and we now have a firing squad and just yes. uh, there's some inmates appealing some things. We'll link some of those articles to our Facebook page. Yeah, South Carolina unable to acquire the drugs necessary for lethal injection and state lawmakers approved a law that would require death row inmates to choose between electric chair or firing squad. So that's still being debated and controversial. John, do you think that has anything to do with why the state did not seek the death penalty for Alec, or did it have anything to do with the lack of physical evidence? I don't think it's either of those two things. I think the death penalty is an effective tool to have available to prosecutors. I think it's the ultimate penalty that people should pay when they take the life of another. But I also think that if you were to, to move forward on a death penalty case, you will be litigating that case forever versus getting someone convicted of first degree murder and then serving life without parole. The, the, the issues on appeal are so much less that, that it is a regular decision of prosecutors across the country where the death penalty is legal to forego pursuit of that in exchange for having finality of judgment. And, and so that 
you can look at the family and say, this case is done. Mm-hmm. Now they can still appeal, but, it, but it's not the same kind of, it, it's not the same rigor that goes into a death penalty case. Now let's move to his banker buddy, the disgraced Hampton banker found guilty in November of six counts of federal bank related fraud, Russell Lafitte. He's hired a couple of new hotshot lawyers and seeks to appeal his case. Yes, he's starting the new year off with two new lawyers from Next and Pruitt. One is a former federal prosecutor, Mark Moore, and also Michael Parente. Um, it's interesting to note that Moore is one of the attorneys representing Parker's Kitchen in the civil conspiracy cases. Because Next and Pruitt has come up many times throughout the Beach lawsuit. Yeah, they're a big-time law firm in South Carolina, but it, it's, it, is, it is interesting. I guess it's a small state. So you would kind of expect some overlapping. John, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's normal. And and Nexon Pruitt it is one of the better better firms in South Carolina, and they uh, are gonna they're gonna represent companies who are they they do corporate defense work and they do criminal defense work. So it, so I think this is very normal for for what you'd find in South Carolina and and in other states. And it seems like a good move to have your defense attorney, Mark Moore, who's a former federal prosecutor. So he's going to know that side. Well, so is, so is Bart Daniel. He was a former oh, federal prosecutor yeah. as well. Yeah. But it does seem like they kind of have uh, different styles. Moore's reputation described in the state paper article is he's a pit bull. He was actually given a plaque by fellow prosecutors that said, take no prisoners. <laughs> uh, and having gone to the hearing... It did seem that Bart Daniel is more genteel. He's he's not as it sounds like maybe more maybe more aggressive. And they they filed their first motion. Yes, Lafitte's new lawyers have filed a supplemental motion for a new trial, adding to what Lafitte's previous attorneys had filed, which contend that two jurors were improperly dismissed. We discussed on one episode about the rumors of bullying. Not even rumors, because some of the Notes that were passed back and forth implied bullying and other issues. Pressure to change a vote. Yes. And we know that there's two affidavits from the, we're assuming, from the two jurors that were dismissed. And then Fitz News reports there's a third affidavit. And that is from? The four person of the jury. And we haven't seen these affidavits because they're currently sealed. So we don't know exactly what is in them, but according to the Fitz News article, the foreperson was upset with how it all went down. Even though the foreperson thought that Lafitte was guilty. John, jump in. Well, I, I would not speculate at all on the content of a sealed affidavit one way or the other. I, 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 I wouldn't want to speculate on that, but I do believe that you've got new counsel and the new counsel may be much more experienced uh, appellate lawyer than the trial lawyer. So I wouldn't read too much into that, that, that they've, that they've switched attorneys, but I also believe that if you are going to argue that prior counsel made an error, you, you don't want to be the counsel saying, Hey, I messed up here in this, in this trial. So it made it made sense to bring in new people. Um, Do you think that's where they may be going? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely think like, hey, we didn't get the result we were hoping for. Let's bring in, you know, these guys who might, you know, a new a new broom sweeps cleaner. It's nothing about what the other guys did, but they may find themselves in a position where they have to argue prior counsel made an error and that as a result of that error, they deserve a new trial. And so is the error that we I kind of talked about the error being that the when the jurors were dismissed, the former attorney was not forceful enough in objecting to the jurors being dismissed. That is the million dollar question at mm-hmm. this point uh, is was their statements on the record sufficient to be construed as an objection or were there were they comments and that's that's where you'd want someone else to come in and 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 in fact the, they at some point might get called to the stand to say well what when you said that were you objecting so it, it makes sense to have new lawyers involved and and at the end of this do you get a new trial as a result I don't know. It is it is federal court, so they are desperate not to make mistakes, but they're also desperate to not have made mistakes. So, so we'll see where they decide to, to land. If Lafitte is granted a new trial, do you think that they would try to work out some sort of deal with him? Well, let me let me butt up to that too, John. Even before he's granted the new trial, with the possibility that it's a new trial, are they able to negotiate time that he would serve and say if you okay just don't make us do this all over again but we'll give him this much time is that a thing anything's a possibility but the judge has to accept so once the jury has convicted them him of all these different charges the judge is going to be bound by the sentencing guidelines to some degree and so it's going to be hard It, it just makes it harder which is why you want to negotiate way back when you get a target letter um, because the federal government typically gets their convictions. And so mm. Lafitte may have been offered a very good deal that he turned down. And maybe these filings are enough to, to get that deal back on the table. That, that is a possibility. I had a listener mention to me about the fact that we still have these pending state charges. Why weren't those dropped when the federal charges were filed? Is that typical? Uh, At some point, they may be holding those state charges to make sure that he's available to testify in the in the murder trial or or the Murdoch Murdoch actual financial crime trials. They may be keeping him on the line till everything else is resolved. If Russell does get a new trial, that means they basically start over from square one. Uh, Yes. And so all the things that maybe Gurgle didn't allow in the first trial, they're going to re-argue those. Like, I know one of the things that they argued that was not allowed in was Bank of America being fooled by the same thing that Russell Lafitte was fooled by. That was not, Judge Gurgle didn't allow that. And a judge may allow all of that all back in again for the same reasons the, the judge did in the first trial. And yeah, it may be that the only issue in Lafitte's trial that's an issue is how the jur- jurors were dismissed. That, that may be the only saving thing that he has because the court, the, the court of appeals, whatever district that goes to, they'll review the trial transcript and say all these other rulings were appropriate. And it's a new judge when they 
retrial? Most likely it's going to be a new judge. On another note, we have a deposition of Judge Odom, which was taken by Eric Bland for some of his civil litigation. Uh, Judge Odom is a probate judge in Hampton County, and she was in charge of overseeing some of these conservatorships. That Lafitte and Murdoch were a part of. Right. So if there is a new trial, can the federal government bring in new information like this deposition? If there's a new trial, they can do, it, it starts at zero, and so they can, they can make their case however they choose to make it, which, which may be including, it, it wouldn't be the de- deposition itself, but they could bring in the, the people that were just deposed to ask them what they testified about at their deposition. Now we move on to the Mallory Beach various lawsuits. And appeals court has denied Parker's request to be severed from Murdoch and have a speedy trial. The background on that, Seton? Initially, Judge Hall agreed to separate Parker's from the Murdoch group. And then he reversed his decision. And so Parker's team appealed to a higher court. So, John, why is this such a blow to Parker's? Well, Parker's is wanting to make arguments independent and separate from the other defendants in the, the that have civil liability or potential civil liability because they're they're in there they want to say hey we're accused of this here are the steps we te- we took to not be guilty on any c- civil level or criminal level therefore we want to we want a clean verdict against us versus this shared uh, joint uh, you know, liability that if one of the defendants is found responsible, that Parker's may be financially responsible for the whole. So that's, that was the basis of their motion to separate. That was the rationale behind it being granted. It was then overturned because the judge then reasoned that you can't try one separately from the other, that they're all they're all related and in common fact and and not scheme, but they're all they're all transactionally related. Therefore, um, they need to be included as part of the general trial. So the hearing is going to be delayed until after Alex Murdoch trial, but there's also another delay. One of the attorneys, Merle Smith, who is on the Parker's team, is the House Speaker. And the legislature will be in session, so the trial will have to be delayed until after the session is over, which I guess won't be until summer of 2023. Is that common in South Carolina? I know the legislators in South Carolina, many are attorneys. Y- yes, and that's, that's a rule almost in every jurisdiction in the country, that if, if your lawyer happens to be a member of the uh, state house or state senate that while they're in session you can't move forward with their cases and and that's um i think that's a a good thing and 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 i have no issue with that and, and it's is standard across the land actually dick harpootland is a state senator and he has waived his right so that ellick's murder trial could go forward yeah he's just gonna do it. All right, John. I think that's it. He's also in the minority party, so his input isn't really needed this legislative session. Oh, valid point. There you go. Snyder, thank you, man. 
Thank you. You guys have a great week. See ya. John Bye. Snyder off and running. And a fabulous email to end with. It's from Mark. He says, hey, Matt, greetings from Australia. Just wanted to write and say I have really enjoyed the podcast so far. And I think you and Seton do a great job. It's just such an interesting story. Also, please pass on my best wishes to Seton and ask her to tell her husband he's a damn lucky bloke. I think <laughs> Seton has a gorgeous accent and I could listen to her voice all day. Cheers, Mark. That made me happy. And I did make my husband read that. <laughs> <laughs> You're blushing now. It was better than the, the review where I said, I guess I used the wrong terminology for what blackout 300 or 300 blackout. I said it the wrong way. And it yeah. was, it was, they, someone was very upset about that. But. You're going to read this one every broadcast. Every episode, we will end with, your, your husband's a damn lucky bloke. You're going to keep reminding him that, aren't you? I am going to keep reminding him. <laughs> uh, you can reach out to us at Murdoch Podcast on Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com, MattHarrisPodcast at gmail.com. That's where Mark reached out. For the sultry sounds of Seton. Yeah, bring on the compliments. <laughs> we can take them. And we can take the uh, not-so-complimentary words as well. And friends, we will talk soon. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.